Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. August 17th, 2020. Good evening, everybody, and welcome as we present the reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the down since day one co host, Tony Acero. Tony, good evening. How was your weekend? Uh, Pretty busy. A lot of work. How's everything coming along with Fox? We're doing all right. I mean, um, we have a cap as far as how many people we could serve due to uh, being only patio, uh, but we're making it work. Are you guys allowed to deliver alcohol? Because that's actually a thing in Ohio. Yeah, but I'm not a big fan of taking my drinks outside of the bar. Um, It diminishes the quality and eliminates the relationship between bartender and patron, so I'd rather not do it. Fair enough. Uh, quick notes before we get started on the show today. Um, I know Tony's not really going to touch on this because he hates when I put him on the spot. But tonight's episode of The Reaction is dedicated to the memory of John Bedroya, professionally known as Xavier in Ring of Honor. He was the second ever Ring of Honor champion, beat Loki for the title at Unscripted, lost the title to Samoa Joe. Um, I want to say at the anniversary show in 2003, but a guy that never really got to do that he deserved, always thought that he was really good, and a lot of wrestling personalities came out to speak their piece on Xavier this past weekend as well when the news broke that he had passed away on Sunday. As somebody who owns almost every show from the first three calendar years of Ring of Honor, Xavier played a huge part in the development of that company. And his general dickish heel character there, where he was the guy that intentionally wrestled a style that was not like the Ring of Honor style in order to piss people off. So, again, uh, my condolences to friends and family of the wrestler known as Xavier, John Bedroya, who passed away this past weekend at the age of 47. 2020 is an asshole, Tony. Yeah, man, it will not quit. It's just a barrage of pain, man. Like, seriously, this year can eat a bag of dicks, and not even the gummy ones. 
Have you seen that, by the way? That shit's hilarious. I'm tempted to do it. I just don't know who I would send it to. Maybe Gray. That would be funny. <laughs> would you go have some of the bag of dicks for Greg with me? Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Sweet. All right. I didn't think that would work, but okay. Good to know. <laughs> uh, Tony, before we get into tonight's episode of Raw and Friday night's episode of SmackDown, I have to ask. Enter the Thunderdome. What are your thoughts? Um, I after tonight, I just I'm not interested in anything that the WWE is doing, and I'm trying my hardest not to be a sourpuss. But uh, you know, typically I'm angry at what is expressed, and um, tonight I wasn't angry. I just did not care. So yeah, this announcement really doesn't do anything for me either. I've often heard it said that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Yeah, they're fucking with me. That's no bueno, Tony. You're not allowed to do that. You got to stick around, man. I need a co-host. <laughs> I mean, we could always react to AEW. <laughs> I don't watch AEW until like two or three days later. I'm an NXT guy. You know this. Well, technically, our show's on Monday night, so you have time. This is true. You're not wrong. Also, I did pick up the hottest shirt in the land, as did you. We are now pro- we are now both proud owners of an Orange Cassidy shirt. I am so excited about this shirt that I have planned an entire outfit around it. Like, I just... <laughs> I love this man. <laughs> Jericho's okay. I know we don't really talk AEW on the show, but I think for this instance we have to. Jericho's May Orange Cassidy main eventer has he not? Yeah, but you know, I mean, Orange Cassidy also did a lot. <laughs> yeah, but let's be honest. Who would have thought that the guy who stands around with his hands in his pockets would be able to put on the performances that he has in the two matches with Jericho? Well, I mean, this is why I'm so amazed by him. And I mean, yeah, Jericho does have that star power, but we can't. We can't deny the fact that the man behind Orange Cassidy is a fucking genius, uh, let alone the fact that he has made money and gotten over with no injuries due to the most lackluster of wrestling skills. Um, he's also a well-known wrestler in the indies um, to the point where you're well aware that the skills are there. So it's not somebody just trying to get a pass because they don't know how to wrestle. It's someone being very, very aware of their skills and just saying, I wonder if this will work and then making it work in the most hilarious of ways. Not to mention, let's also talk about his pre-Orange Cassidy days as well. Um, I don't know if it's common knowledge, but he was one-third of the colony in Chikara, who were one of the hottest acts in that entire company for the longest time, too. Well, you know, interestingly enough, I thought it was common knowledge. But when I, um, when I expressed that, and passing in the report uh, at 411mania.com, um, not a lot of people knew. Not a lot of people knew he was fire ant, and people were very impressed that, A, the fact that I knew that, and, B, that he, ha- he was able to completely reinvent himself. It's almost kind of weird to see that two-thirds of the colony are now in major companies, isn't it? 
I mean, not not necessarily weird. You, you know, you kind of expected the best for them, and they each went the route that they went, and I'm I'm happy for them. I mean, I'll be the first person to express my undenying support for the other one here. And uh, all right, no need to be coy. I, this is a smart fan show. At least I like to think it is. Um, Soldier Ant, who was uh, usually tag team partners with Fire Ant in the colony, is uh, Drew Gulak. Yep. And then Worker Ant is the now, well, the original Worker Ant was Andy Sumner, who retired from pro wrestling. But they were known as, him and uh, Grulak were known as Team Andrew in CZW at the time. So all three of them had the out of Shikara chops to back up the in-ring skills that they displayed and the Lucha Libre skills that they displayed as the masked members of the colony. Shikaratopia, mm-hmm. I, I know Shikara is not under the best of terms in regards to certain wrestling fans right now with the whole speaking out thing. And I get it. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But I will say this much, in my opinion, Shikaratopia is arguably the best eight bucks a month I spend. Just because I enjoy going back and watching the old shows. Cool. Oh, other thing, too, uh, before we get into Raw and SmackDown. Did you notice that they started uploading independent stuff to the uh, network, Tony? Um, no, I did not notice that. I haven't been on the network in quite some time. Uh, and a, a progress wrestling show, a WXW show, an ICW show, and then two best of evolves for Drew McIntyre and nice. I feel like the reason that they're not going to do the full evolve shows is because there are people in other companies that they don't want to give the exposure to. Mm. I know the young. Well, I know the young. Young Bucks appear on a lot of the early uh, Evolve shows. And if you're saying that the WWE isn't petty enough to keep them off the network, you're crazy. Oh, yeah, they're petty. Ready to talk SmackDown, Tony? Um, yeah, let me pull up the report. It starts with Tony announcing that he got his Orange Cassidy shirt. Yep. I got mine on Saturday. So he got his the day before I got mine. All right. Opening contest is supposed to be Big E versus John Morrison. They are attacked by Retribution. However, a little bit later on in the show, they actually do run the match. And Big E once again submits a member of the dirt sheet, this time tapping out Morrison with the stretch muffler. Let's first talk about the retribution involvement at the start of the show. Finally getting to see them interact with main roster wrestlers, Tony. Is this a wise decision? Um, I'm, I'm still not sold on the retribution as anything worth paying attention to. It's still very unclear. You know, we've always been people that say, like, you know, let's submarinate, let it take its time, and and um, let us be anxious for more. But they're not giving us anything to be anxious about. We still don't know who they are, why they're doing this. We're hitting little. We're getting little hints. I think Cole mentioned, um, what did he say? He said that they were a group hiding behind current events. Um, that frightens me because if there's one thing that the WWE is not, it it is they're not good. They do not have their pulse, their their hand, their finger on the pulse. They are not 
a good example of what's going on in the world. And I feel like if they're really going to go the route of these people expressing themselves through um, hiding behind current events, then we're in for a eye roll inducing moment or segment when they're finally revealed. We saw them show up again tonight in the production truck here. Apparently, Retribution thinks they're the NWO. There's just a lot of little things wrong with what they're doing. I'm not looking for this stuff. It's really, really apparent. Um, like like on SmackDown, you have two security guards blocking doors, but one of the security guards is looking down the hallway. Like, aren't you supposed to be preventing them from coming in? Why would you be looking down a hallway inside the room? And then, of course, shortly thereafter, we see that these two security guards did jack and shit. So, like, <laughs> man. All right, to the actual match itself. Before the match happens, we see a backstage segment where the SmackDown superstars are all gathered around. At least they're not pull-apart brawling, Tony. They have that going for them this week. Yeah. They're all gathered around discussing the action to retribution with the attack. Big E kind of steps up as steps up as the voice in the locker room there before he's stopped by Baron Corbin, who was then stopped by Sheamus in that particular order there. Uh, a couple of things to discuss from this back six segment here. One, do you think that this is going to be used to give Big E's character a more serious tenure? I don't know. From the interviews that I've seen and the verbiage that's being used, Big E is not looking for a world title run. He's perfectly okay with just being another singles wrestler. And that's unfortunate because I think that he can go all the way, but it also means that we're not going to get anything special outside of a biggie versus Corbin match. And that's just not anything I'm interested in. That's not special. No, it's not. I mean, and it, I think the biggie is the church. person that could be special. It's church lady special. Oh, ain't that special. Yeah, you, I mean, you're hurting for stars. You have a ready-made one in your face, and I don't expect them to be catapulted to the top right away, but they're doing a great disservice by continuously saying that he is, you know, not typically a single star, and, you know, it's crazy that he could even be in this position and putting him down that way, and then giving him spots where he has to prove himself when I really don't think he has. All you do is show a a very small video package of him getting five counts in NXT and then doing that again one time and you have your star. You have your force to be reckoned with, you know, but they're too busy playing who's the biggest monster in the main event that it wouldn't matter anyway. Um... We were talking by text while we were while we, you were covering uh, SmackDown there, and I think I actually messaged you. Um, I don't know if it was this particular episode or if it was last week's episode, but they gave Biggie mic time towards the beginning of the show, and he actually mentions the fact that he's a former NXT champion and a former Intercontinental champion. And I think I sent you something along the lines of, "Hey, they finally remembered he held singles titles." Right. So it's not like that the opportunity hasn't been there for E to have solo success. He's just not had solo success as an individual when he had well, – the NXT title was as an individual, but main roster solo success when he was the Intercontinental Champion, I believe he was still aligned with Dolph Ziggler and AJ Lee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that that would make you smile. 
All right, so we run it back a little bit later on in the show. He taps out Morrison. Um, for not wanting to do much with him, they seem to be giving him a couple of big wins here and there. You know what I would like I to mean, see? And this is gonna this is gonna sound weird, but you know what I actually would not mind seeing? Let's put Biggie but, in the ring against AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title. That see, that's a big win. A win over John Morrison is not a big win. The the roster is so depleted right now that everybody is on an even keel and none of it matters. So it's not like it's not like a win over John Morrison means anything, especially considering how quickly the matches go by. A problem which I had tonight too. Um, you're you're diminishing the quality of your wrestler in the eyes of the fan by basically making wrestling matches themselves short and relatively meaningless. Up next, we going back to where we were at the start of the show after the Biggie Corbin Sheamus confrontation. It is tri-branded battle royal time to determine the opponent for Bailey at SummerSlam. In addition to Bailey, Sasha Banks is there as well. Nothing, really? Softball? No, actually, um, this was a very surprising match for me because oftentimes the WWE does battle royals that I despise because nothing matters until the final... Three people. Not where I was going with that. We were going to actually discuss the match in a few seconds. I was waiting for you to take a swing at the Sasha softball. Nah, it's okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the actual Battle Royal, though. A lot of little mini stories in this Battle Royal that I appreciated, including a good run for Tegan Knox. Bianca Belair once again gets to look really good inside of a Battle Royal. Remember the performance that she put in at the Royal Rumble, and Cole actually mentions that which means Michael was doing his job for once. But in the end, uh, Dana Brooke attempts to outsmart everybody and fails miserably, as is the Dana Brooke way. And it comes down to Asuka and Shayna Baszler. The golden role models attempt to cost Asuka the match with Baszler looking for the elimination, but Asuka fights off the role models, lands on them to prevent her own elimination, and then ends up getting back into the ring and sending Shayna out to the floor to secure a second title shot at SummerSlam. Now you may heat praise on the Battle Royal, Tony. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a great match. Everything mattered. Um, the little segments were given their own time to shine, and they were done for a specific reason. Feuds that already existed were um, expanded upon. Everyone that disliked someone else did continue to dislike them during the match. And Oscar winning was a nice little touch because although it wasn't surprising, it's not something that I'm completely upset about. They've been going back and forth amongst these three for quite some time now, and it makes sense for Oscar to attempt to get a win over both of them. Um, and it also gives them a chance to have Oscar lose and be okay with it because she had just done a match. We'll talk more about that once we get to tonight's episode of Raw, but I think that they kind of set the stage for what's going to happen at SummerSlam with what, what they announced on Raw tonight. Yeah, but again, we'll get to that when we talk raw, and then obviously when we make our predictions a little bit later on in the show. Uh, anybody in particular in the battle royal you wanted to give a shout out to that you thought put in an especially strong performance? I just think that everyone really did well, um, except for Dana, and that's just because she's Dana. Uh, can we evict Tamina as well, please? 
Oh, yeah. My goodness. Just, <sighs> yeah. Tamina, sweetheart, we appreciate the effort. Father time has caught up. Let it go. Before you hurt yourself again. And that's not me saying I wish she hurts herself in case anybody's listening and thinking, man, Harry's a fucking asshole. It's not me wishing injury on anyone. I'm just saying that with somebody with the injury-prone issues that she's had, it's bound to happen sooner than later. Mandy Rose cuts a promo and challenges Sonya Deville to a hair-versus-hair match at SummerSlam. A little bit later on, Sonya accepts the challenge to a hair-versus-hair match at SummerSlam. Tony, I had one major takeaway from those two segments. You know what that takeaway is? What? When she's actually given mic time, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville sound a lot alike. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, I mean, what did you think of, of the, the uh, promos sound a lot alike because they're all trained the same way. So I get it. I don't just mean in the words that she used. I mean in her actual voice inflections and stuff and the way that she the way that she spoke during the promo. It sounded like basically like how Sa- like Sonya would talk. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it because of all the time they spend around each other. Of course. You would so pick I, up I, each I, other's I, mannerisms. I think both promos um were pretty strong and um we've we've I've talked about it numerous times. These girls are given the chance to prove something and I think that they've been doing really, really well on a week-to-week basis. Backstage, after the after the Mandy promo, Sonya's is a little bit later on in the show. Nikki looks sad. Alexa comes up and Nikki apologizes. Alexa tries to fake her way through, pretending she's okay. It does not work out. My tablet needs to stop recognizing when I say Miss Bliss's first name. And Nikki tries to get Alexa to talk. Alexa's having none of it. And eventually she states that Alexa states that she's going to stick around because she needs some answers from Braun Strowman herself. We kind of touched on this last week. Are you surprised that they're actually making Alexa a full-on character in this feud, or do you think it's probably for the better? Um, I mean, I think neither one of those are actually right. Um, I don't know if it's for the better. It's certainly not for the worst. I like Alexa. I think she's one of the better actors on the roster, so it comes off as somewhat believable. Um, I don't enjoy Bald Braun being all monsterish, and I don't think it's interesting at all, but um, I also don't know what the hell they're doing, which is usually a good thing, but this just screams indifferent. I'm not really sold on it, you know? You know, we might as well talk about the main event segment since it's relevant to what we're discussing here. Um, Alexa comes down to the ring and calls out, or no, wait, I think Strowman actually comes out first. And then Alexa interrupts him by coming down as well and discussing what happens there. Strowman tries to play it off as he doesn't care about her because he needs to not care about her, but Bliss wants answers and says that if he's not going to tell her, if, if if he's not just going to tell her, 
then maybe she'll slap some sense into him. A series of strikes by Alexa leads to Braun lifting Alexa up and going for a military press when the lights go out. When the lights come back on, you hear a thud before they do. Alexa's down in the ring. The Fiend is checking on her, and Braun Strowman is up on the video wall laughing as we fade to black on the show. Ah, nothing says babyface like being abusive towards the five-foot-nothing, less-than-a-hundred-pound woman. Well, that's the thing. I don't even know if that's the route they're going. Like, do they want Braun to be a babyface? Because I don't think people care one way or the other. Like, I don't think that they believe in, in Braun, you know, being all evil. And The Fiend, I certainly don't he's think you're going to believe that he, he's a, uh, a sympathetic character. And then you got Alexa saying, like, you know, he's, attractive um, in ways that are, you know, uncommon, basically saying like there's an aura there that she's falling for. And I mean, just, I don't know, man. (laughs) I think they're going for something with weight and it's just not, it's not working. The good news is at least they picked Alexa for this storyline because I have a feeling with some of these other women on the roster, it would not come off as well, at, at least as well, air quotes on an audio podcast as it has. Yeah, Alexa's great. So you remember a couple of weeks ago when I thought that Chad Gable might be a thing? (laughs) I told you. Hey, Tony. Bite me. Well. This is what I get when I get my expectations up. Um, are, you're familiar with Malcolm in the Middle, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with the Dewey GIF? Uh-huh. That's how I'm feeling right about now when it comes to Chad Gable. I expect nothing, and I'm still disappointed. Yeah, man. Got jobbed out, and then he apologized, and then he said he wasn't him, and then... He, I don't know. <laughs> I Sheamus feel like there's a lot of ass. start with, with um with storylines right now. Like you look at Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. Um, they started off that story with the coming back together, and now they're a team. So much, in fact, that they know the same move, and then they backtrack on that mentality to say that there's dissension between the two, and maybe they're not quite there yet. And similar with Shorty, sorry, Chad Gable, like you start off strong with, I want the King's ransom and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, stand by the side of my bully because money means more to me than my pride. And then you backtrack on that. And then you, I mean, I can, I can name at least three more examples of that same type of storytelling that just comes off as um, unreal. just not real at all and not believable and lacks cohesiveness. And it just turns you off. It just makes you uninterested in what's being presented. <clears throat> Sheamus beats Gable's ass in three minutes and 38 seconds, pinning him flush with a broke kick. At least it wasn't two. He only had to take one this week. Mm-hmm. Backstage, Gable attempts to apologize to Riddle. And while he's apologizing to Riddle, Baron Corbin knocks Riddle out from behind with his scepter. Now, here's the one small takeaway that I did get from this backstage segment here, and I don't know if you caught this or not. When Corbin hit Riddle with the scepter, 
He looked at Gable, and do you remember what he said? Thanks for the help or something along those lines. I always knew you'd amount to something, Chad. Don't get your hopes up, Harry. Don't get your hopes up. They just get let down. <laughs> when it comes to Chad Gable, and your feelings will be hurt again, and Tony will brag that he told us so, and then you'll be pissed off even further. So let's move on. All right. I think I sent you two words when this next segment started. Do you remember what those two words are? No. In all caps, Joseph Bark! Oh, yeah. AJ Styles comes out to discuss who's going to get the next Intercontinental title shot. He says that nobody's been worthy of a title shot because nobody matches up to him. And then it dawned on Styles that it's all about the stats. So he has created the phenomenal intercontinental statistical, that's all folks, the phenomenal intercontinental statistical, help me out, Tony, phenomenal intercontinental statistical system. Thanks, Vince. Anyway, so at the top of the list, is AJ himself. And the person deserving of a title shot is, after he pulls the curtain back, nobody. One little thing that I did say I popped for, and I think I messaged you this in our chat as well, is when Park pulled the the curtain off of the board and Styles looked looked back at him and said, thank you, Joseph Park. That is cross-company continuity, which is not something the WWE usually does. Regardless, Jeff Hardy ends up interrupting. Hardy and Styles actually do have a history. TNA took an op- or Impact Wrestling, sorry, took the opportunity to post the link to the fact that you could subscribe for 30 days for free and watch several of their matches against each other, including a short clip of one of their matches from 2004, I believe it was, in the Impact Plus system subscription service that they have. They spend a little time salatiating each other back and forth, let's call it what it is. And then AJ Styles at is deciding whether or not he feels Jeff Hardy deserves an opportunity and decides, hell no, he doesn't. Styles then says something else, which sets Hardy off, and Hardy attacks. Hardy lays out Styles with a twist of fate and writes his own name on the marker, apparently doing so in permanent marker. As AJ tried to wipe it off backstage, and it didn't really work. All right, multiple things to touch on here. Let's go through them step by step. First of all, how did you feel about Joseph Park being on television? Um, was never a TNA guy. Very rarely saw anything with Abyss or Joseph Park, so it didn't really do anything for me. Um, I will express and admit that the dude's got facial uh, characteristics that are similar to Paul Bearer and that he can emote everything and anything with this simplest of moves 
And it's kind of ironic that a bulk of his career was under a mask when he has a face like that. The post, the post uh, abyss has Joseph Park running in, in Impact Wrestling is some of his best work, though, for that very reason. Not to mention what that dude put his body through for the love of the sport, too. I respect the hell out of him. Having gotten a chance to work with him as well, he's a genuinely good dude. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, number two. The phenomenal intercontinental statistical system. Hey, I got it out without stumbling this time. How Vince McMahon is this idea? <laughs> uh, the less said, the better. Very well. Thoughts on AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy this week in the Thunderdome for the Intercontinental title? We're going to have to get a Thunderdome sound effect, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, your thoughts on Styles and Hardy this week for the title? It's fine. I'm not bothered by it. I don't like Jeff attacking Styles. Um, I don't know why he signed an autograph for his uh, name when he could have just written his name. It would have gotten the point across. I like that it was a permanent marker. It's kind of a dick move. Um, it's fine. It's a pay-per-view quality match, though. Like, that could have probably had a little bit more legs on it. I almost feel like they should be saving this for SummerSlam, and I think something screwy is going to happen on SmackDown, and the match is going to end up moved to SummerSlam. Yeah, maybe. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be bothered by that. It'd give um, uh, Styles a nice win over a name that's credible. Not that he hasn't been doing enough of that on a regular basis on um, SmackDown as it is lately. Riddle, Ryan, Metalik for what that was. Speaking of Grand Metalik, what did I say when we did the show last week, Tony? When um, Cesaro faced Lince Dorado, do you remember? No. I said that this week on SmackDown, watch what's going to happen. Shinsuke takes on Grand Metalik. Uh-huh. Well, fast fast forward seven days later, and specifically four days later because we did the show on Monday and SmackDown's on Friday, and wouldn't you know it, Shinsuke takes on Grand Metal League. But before yeah. Shinsuke takes on Grand Metal League, let's talk about the backstage segment. Because as you put it in the SmackDown report, WWE has the worst baby faces. Oh, yeah. So multiple examples of that. <laughs> Shout out to the article by Steve Cook over on the ChairShot website, too. Continue. Well, I mean, I won't go so far as to say that there's racial implications of having two Mexican wrestlers steal something, but it's kind of there. <laughs> Aside from that, well, even if you were to remove that, they're, they're baby faces, and although we don't know much about them, one thing I know about good and righteous people is that they don't steal. Um, also, it's not funny. It's funny to do that to get in their heads. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't really ring true to me. Um, yeah, if you're a belt holder and someone takes your title, it's annoying, but you're not getting in my head. You're just a gnat. I, I, I don't treat you as real or even worthy of my time. No. And then, yeah. I mean... I, I, Yet again, another instance of a babyface not doing what a babyface would do. I'm going to counterpoint that with the fact that arguably one of the most popular babyfaces of all time 
made a career out of lying, cheating, and stealing. But that was his character. This is out of character for these two people. That's fair enough, and I was allowing you to make the difference there. The match itself sees the return of Kalisto, who apparently is still employed by the WWE, we have now found out. Another conversation we had in our, ta- in our chat. We did not know that Kalisto was still employed. It leads to Cesaro being distracted. Cesaro being distracted leads to Metalik, or Shinsuke being distracted. Shinsuke being distracted leads to Metalik taking the advantage and then hitting a elbow drop off the top rope springboard style to a standing Shinsuke Nakamura that looked like absolute shit but got the pinfall at 4 minutes and 17 seconds. You mentioned in the report that it's a major clash of styles between these two. I don't even think it's so much a clash of styles as it is that maybe it's arguable that Shinsuke and Cesaro want no part of this storyline at all. It looked like Shinsuke was not interested, to be honest with you. Uh, um, Going through the motions. Yeah, wrestle before without a... uh, any type of motivation, and it's very telling. It's similar to, like, Carlito, where you can't always tell when a wrestler is, like, not into their game, but it just seemed that way. All right, we have the we have the segment with Gable, Riddle, and Corbin here. We already discussed that. Alexa has the backstage interview where she says that she may be sort of falling for Braun Strowman which is yet another reason for me to hate that motherfucker. Fuck him. And then we do get the line at the end with Alexa talking about being in the fiend's presence and saying that it's, you're, you're drawn to him, almost like a moth to a flame. And I would not be surprised if that almost leads to the idea behind perhaps Bliss aligning herself with Wyatt come SummerSlam. I'm just not really digging this whole storyline. I mean, at the very least, it makes sense. It's just not entertaining. Uh, Bray Wyatt has a tendency to try and build an entire story, you know? So every few that he's in, you've mentioned it before, everybody changes after a match with him. I think that's a little too easy. Um, I think that's an out that isn't necessarily needed with every match, but at least it makes sense. So Braun coming out lacking hair and being a quote-unquote monster, it makes sense after the Swamp match. But is it compelling or interesting? I I don't think so, at least not in my opinion. It involves Braun Strowman. The answer to both of those questions is no. Like, he's he's getting X-Pac heat for me at this point. I genuinely don't care about the dude. And he's the current Universal Heavyweight Champion. You know, I don't think he gets enough credit in general. But you know what this storyline is making me realize? I fucking miss Roman Reigns. (laughs) And those are words that I never thought I'd utter on this podcast. We already discussed the Miz or the Morrison and Big E match. 
we see another attack by uh, we see a backstage attack by Retribution during the course of this match, but we already talked about that as well when we brought the uh, the conversation there. That takes us to the Braun conversation in the ring with uh, Alexa and the finish with Strowman somehow magically teleporting because apparently getting thrown into that swamp gives you teleportational powers. So I can say teleportational, but I can't say statistical. That makes sense. And the Braun-Alexa Fiend segment is how we go off the air for SmackDown. Overall show rating, Tony? Um... I don't remember what I rated it. Uh, in retrospect, I'm probably leaning towards like a five. You gave it a six and a half. Uh, okay. Well, six then. We'll go in the middle. Well, the reason I think that maybe you were a little higher upon first view than you are now that we're going back over it here is because of how bad the prior week SmackDown was because you talked about that in the Raw report last week as well. Rough. All right, give me a second. Let me load up the Raw report from tonight. Um, retribution in the production truck at the start of Raw fucking with the opening and cutting the video feed to send us to our first commercial break. I so did it. Stupid. I did it, but the NWO did it better. Uh, first of all, it's jarring. It's ineffective. It makes your product look stupid. It made Drew look bad um, because he should be pissed off at this particular moment in time. Um, also, it just made no sense. They're in the production truck, but we're able to see a switch over to the camera that's panning into the production truck, meaning that camera shouldn't have been working unless they actively switched to that camera on purpose, which means some semblance of them know, they, they know what they're doing to a degree, um, which I don't believe. And then what happens after? Like, who went to commercial? Was that their decision? They, did they say, all right, let's go to commercial? And then when they come back from commercial, did they get kicked out of the truck? Did they leave? Was their work done there? Did they just want to cause a disruption for the first two minutes of the show, and then that was enough for them? Where was this heightened security that you got? Like, I don't – I just – no. You feel better, Tony? No, because it's not over. Coming back from a break, Drew has the Raw locker room rallied together, much like Big E did on SmackDown. In this particular instance, though, people seem to be rallying around Drew, with the exception of Seth Rollins, who comes in to say absolutely nothing of note. Ricochet and Cedric point out that that Rey Mysterio is going to be here to confront Seth Rollins and Murphy. Don't call him buddy, pal about their beat down on Dominic last week on Raw. Ricochet and Cedric turn turn up the urban patois to an annoying level. Yeah, it's hard to say this without coming off slightly racist, especially considering if anyone is listening to us, they may not be in California where... Um, my particular vernacular is engulfed in, you know, urban talk and all of my friends speak to me the same way that I speak to them. And essentially I get a pass from a lot of, you know, different ethnicities simply because I'm me and they're them. However, when you see it on TV and when you see Ricochet, Ricochet and Cedric, 
it just feels like they're really, really forcing the blackness. And I could be wrong because that could just be them. But, like, we've heard Ricochet cut a promo. We've heard Cedric cut a promo. And then they go to the backstage segments like tonight, and they're speaking completely differently using, like, you know, urban slang or a little bit of, you know, dropping the Gs and adding, you know, this and that and talking about little birdies in their ear. Like, it just comes off as really hokey and incredibly forced. And it's not consistent with the characters that we've seen. Like, who are you guys? Is that the real you? Because I don't see that anywhere else other than this moment right here. So it just comes, it's very minute. It's not a big deal at all, but it comes off. It's another one of those things that removes you from the product because it, it, I feel insulted. I feel lied to. I, I can't believe in these characters. They're not the same. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I gave SmackDown a seven, but a lot of that had to do with Joseph Park. Mm-hmm. I forgot to give my score earlier. Um, and I know we don't specifically have any t-shirts for the reaction, Tony. But if we did, I feel like forcing the blackness might be one of them. Back in the ring, the Hurt Business is cutting a promo talking about the fact that Retribution is here, but they're not willing to step up to people like Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin. I mean, that's a fair statement given the fact that Lashley's a professional MMA fighter and Benjamin's arguably one of the best amateur wrestlers in the WWE. It also strokes MVP's ego that he's associating himself with them, too. So it would make sense for the MVP character to talk smack when he knows that he has such athletically gifted backup. MVP then levies the accusation that the person behind Retribution is uh, Apollo Crews, which is where MVP lost me. Because that just makes MVP sound delusional, and that's not what the MVP character has been in the entire time that he's been back in the WWE. <clears throat> this I mean, leads to, this leads to Apollo coming... Hold on, real quick. This leads to Apollo coming down the ramp and interrupting and stating that he thinks it's stupid that MVP thinks that he's a member of Retribution... Apollo says that he's just trying to create distractions. MVP's just trying to create distractions and excuses for himself and that MVP can't beat Apollo without any help, thus challenging MVP to put a stipulation on our opening contest where if Cruz beats Shelton Benjamin, then Benjamin and Lashley are banned from ringside this Sunday at SummerSlam. Okay, let's first talk about the, the in-ring segment here, and then we'll talk about the match. Go ahead. Uh, well, real quick, MVP saying that they're about the money goes back to what I was saying a few weeks ago when they randomly went into Raw Underground for no money. Um, that, that's a, that's another one of those inconsistencies. This is what I've seen the MVP person persona be. We're about the money. We're going to do things for the money. We're going to get championship belts. We're going to get nice clothes, and we're going to do that. So it just goes to show that, yet again, there's this lack of consistency with the characters that they're presenting simply because the writing. Like, why would MVP agree to this stipulation knowing that having Cruz, having Benjamin and Lashley gives him a better shot on Sunday at ringside? In what, in what world does this make sense for MVP as a businessman to agree to this stipulation just because Apollo questioned his manhood? MVP's a businessman. He's not cared about such juvenile conversations. At least he shouldn't be, hypothetically speaking. Right. Am I reading too, am I reading too much into this again, Tony? No. Or am I expecting logic where clearly there is none? Well, that's kind of, 
Yeah. 6,000 run-ins during the course of a two-minute match. I am, of course, being moderately facetious. Eventually end up seeing Apollo tripping up Shelton and catching a jackknife cradle for the three count. I appreciate you calling it a jackknife cradle. Uh-huh. I personally call it the steamboat press. That's just me. But the jackknife cover works as well. Literally, Tony, in a three-minute match, six people ran in. <laughs> I think I think 80% of the matches tonight had a run-in or a DQ or an interruption or an almost blatant slap in the face of the performers. Oh, the worst of it is what happened to poor Natalia and Mickey. That's what I'm referring to. And you know I'm not a big oh. Natalia fan, but damn, that was fucked up. Oh. oh, when we get there, believe me, clear the floor. <laughs> you know I don't rant often on this show, Tony. But clear the goddamn floor. Mm-hmm. Post-match... More distractions as Truth comes back down the ramp, having gotten away from Akira Tozawa and his ninjas, apparently, and runs right into a clothesline from Shelton Benjamin. Shelton covers, and apparently, if you hold the 24-7 title, you're fragile enough that a clothesline puts you down for a three count. This fucking title is a joke, Tony. Huge, huge joke. And an unfunny one. MVP then states that they will not be disrespected and tells Apollo to find two idiots while he's standing next to Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, and Mustafa Ali to face him and Shelton and Bobby later on in a six-man tag. Might as well do it now. Actually, no. You know what? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to actually delay that, and there's a reason, because there is a backstage segment that I messaged you about during that I want to give credit to both performers. So we'll get to that in a little bit here. We'll actually talk about the match when it happens in the format rather than jumping ahead here. I refuse to mention the bimbo from The Bachelor. I don't fucking care. We're moving on. Ivar takes on Angel Garza. Angel Garza picks up a victory with a short drop kick to the back of the head, and that's a three count. Apparently, Garza's changing. I mean, I guess he can't hit the wing clipper, clipper on Ivar, but a drop kick in 2020? <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, Garza's an athletic dude. You can't tell me that the best you can think of is a fucking basement drop kick. Man, they could have ripped the turnbuckle corner post off and bounced his head off of that and got a pin, and I would have believed that. A drop kick to the back of the head, though. Angel Dawkins comes onto the screen afterwards and says that he has a video that everybody needs to see. Samoa Joe apparently is in on the process. Apparently Samoa Joe's the run the one running GTV these days. And states that when Zelina and Andrade come over to Joe, states that they might want to get back there and see this video for themselves as well. We come back after a commercial break. 
And Dawkins is still there, and he asks for the tape to be played once Zelina, Andrade, and Angel Garza arrive. Hey, Tony, you remember how you said it might be kind of interesting if Zelina wasn't the one who actually did it? Yep. Uh-huh. How'd that work out for you? Unfortunately, they went with the easiest answer and made it her poisoning them. And now you ask the question, is that legal? Um, what kind of ramifications can you face from a legal standpoint if you poison somebody? Um, <laughs> I feel like that Ford feels was like... not right. Mad. <laughs> I feel like that's attempted murder. Yeah. I, I mean, at the very least, a case. You know, you may not win, but that, that's warranting an arrest. <laughs> ass- assault, with a, assault with a deadly weapon. Poison a black man in 2020. You know what kind of fire you're playing with? Wolf. (laughs) Montez comes back and beats the fuck out of Angel Garza. That leads to... Well, we might as well go ahead and do this match now because it isn't really relevant towards the end of the show. That leads to Montez Ford taking on Andrade in a singles match. Montez picks up the victory in the singles match here. Zelina, or excuse me, Andrade is distracted because Zelina tries to dive off the apron at Bianca Belair. Bianca catches her and goes Mark Henry on her ass, world's strongest slam style on the, on the ground. While Andrade is distracted, Montez picks up the victory. I believe he got him with a roll-up, if I, don't, if I recall correctly. Hold on, I don't let me remember. Give me, a Give me a second. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. It's... It's too far buried in the report for me to find immediately. So we'll just say that he beat him with a roll-up. Oh, he did beat him with a roll-up. Man. <laughs> That's unfortunate. You remember the conversation we've had before about LCD booking? Mm-hmm. Does this or does this not fit directly into that conversation? Yeah. Play to your lowest common denominator. Or, in other words, play to your locals who will barely understand the story. Look, I just got a seat with the entire state of West Virginia. (laughs) Fuck it. I said what I said. Harry Broadhurst on Facebook. AGBD even on Twitter. Bring it. Natalia and Mickey James is match three. Go ahead. I'll let you state your piece. <laughs> kind of want to hand it over to you first. Okay. You want me to go first this time? Oh, yeah. All right. So here's the deal. We may hate Natalia the character, but Natalia the wrestler is actually pretty fucking good. We haven't seen Mickey James in a year because she's been out injured. I believe she jacked up her shoulder, if I, did, if I recall correctly. And that was after she had a baby. So you're telling me that after taking the time to build this match with a backstage segment last week, because apparently it was important enough to do so then, that the best thing you can think of for these two women to be is background noise so Seth Rollins can come out and confront Samoa Joe about how everybody knows that Rey Mysterio is going to be at the building tonight. While there's a fucking match in the ring with a woman who's been out for a year. I am not the biggest fan of Natalia the character. I'm not the biggest fan of Lana P. 
period, if we're being frank. There have been times where I have been sold on Mickey James. There have been other times where I have been indifferent on Mickey James. All three of these women deserved better tonight than what you did to them throughout the course of this contest. You did the one thing that a booking team should never do to any of its performers. You know what that is, Tony? They made them a fucking afterthought. While the match was going on, they told you that what was happening in the ring wasn't as important as what was happening with Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe, which is going to, in turn, make people not give a fuck about Natalia, Lana, or Mickey James going forward. Because if we didn't care then, why should we care now? It is the most ass-backwards booking on this entire show. I can forgive the retribution thing because eventually we'll get to the reveal with Retribution and we'll get to see what they can do as performers and we'll forget about all of the silliness that led to the reveal. I can forgive the 24-7 stuff because in a vacuum, it is what it is. It's a brief moment of the television show that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You took three performers tonight and completely shit on all three of them to advance an angle that you could have done in a backstage bit with Seth Rollins interrupting them via the audio feed after the match. Yeah, I'm not 100% sold or even care about Samoa Joe having an in with certain people. I don't think that really adds much of anything to anything, really, um, including his character. Uh, you know, you could say he's a commentator, so him knowing stuff like that makes sense, or he has his own little, you know, in. But realistically, it's just, um, just not, not, not a, uh, a thing that I was enjoying particularly. So it didn't do much. And then you get to the the reality of what you were talking about, where um, literally you denied these girls. Who again, I'm not a big fan. I won't pretend to be. I've talked. To, a lot of shit about Lana as a performer. Um, and I'm not saying, like, she deserves better either. I don't think that this – I mean, I think this is exactly what Lana should get. However, <laughs> from a presentational standpoint, from a, a TV show, this just didn't make any sense. And it made – it was – it probably wouldn't have stood out so much if um, the, the rest of the show as a whole was very, very haphazard as well. Um, I think it was when – Apollo was coming down to the ring. I felt like the cameraman was off cue. It took him forever to get to a spot, and it looked like he was holding the camera before they switched or after they switched over. So you just saw the movements that you weren't really supposed to see. Um, that's minor, but really, you get to, and then you get to this moment, and it's just like, damn, y'all! Like this is it's just such a sloppy show. I shall now climb down from my soapbox, Tony. Man, you could stay up there if you want. It's just it, Mickey has been gone for over a year, and I don't know if she cares or not. But like, imagine you're like, "All right, I'm back. Let's do this," and you're you're brushed off so Seth Rollins can ask Samoa Joe a question about something we already know is happening. There was no new information during this segment. Nothing was gained here, like at all. So what was the point? You even had you even had Seth look down at the girls as if they were in his way 
Like, it was like, whoa, you literally were just like, y'all are unimportant. You know what they, you know what this match was to me, Tony? This match to me was a resume creator. Because this is the time where you see the writing on the wall and you fucking leave. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn disgraceful. All right, let's move on. Bailey and Sasha, as we come back from the commercial bridge, a little bit of a palate cleanser for Tony. They debate yeah, back I mean, and forth about who. They debate back and forth about who should wrestle Oscar first. Both of them wants to allow the other two, which, when you think about it, is kind of hilarious because then the other one gets the opportunity to face a, in theory, weakened Oscar. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about who they're going to defend the women's tag team titles at on um, on payback the following Sunday because two pay per views in a seven day span is a brilliant idea. <laughs> We, you know, we haven't even discussed that yet. Yeah, fuck it. Bailey seems to know who's gonna who they're gonna face. She thinks they're gonna face Oscar and Kyrie. Oh wait, she's gone. Which, admittedly, cheap heat, but it worked. However, yeah. as soon as she sets that, Shayna Baszler's music hits. Baszler tells them to shut up and says that no matter what happens with with, uh, Asuka and Sasha's match at SummerSlam, when it comes to the Raw women's title, Shayna's got next. No, Shayna's got Nia Jax to deal with still, apparently, which is... No Nia Jax rule on the reaction. No Nia Jax. Shayna has redacted to deal with going forward. <laughs> Speaking of which, she shows up during the course of this match and takes out Shayna for a good portion of it, leading to a two-on-one handicap match, which is sort of what Oscar's kind of facing going back-to-back, although in separate singles matches, at least currently in separate singles matches, against Bailey and Sasha at SummerSlam here. Um, your thoughts on the promo work before the match, and then we'll discuss the actual match itself. Um, whose promo specifically? Uh, we'll start with the Golden Roll models. Um, well, you know, they're, they were their normal selves. Nothing stood out here. They didn't do anything special. Um, their, their act is getting kind of tiring, so I'm hoping we get to the eventual, you know, clash of the role models. But yeah, there, there's nothing offensive or inoffensive either way. Hypothetically speaking, how would you feel about Austin and Shayna challenging for the women's tag team title to payback? And... Yeah, but they're set up as the number one contenders with their victory here on Raw tonight. I've never fallen for that. That's never. <laughs> I don't. I don't abide by that. Are we going to discuss Raw Underground at all? I don't feel like I need to. I mean, the only plus you can give them is that they actually advertise a match next week, but we're still unclear of the rules. So why should I care? There are no rules. Except when there are. Ziggler thumb (laughs) Derek in the eye. 
Right, but when do you who do who deduces the win? Who says that a win is you know a win? Is it Shane? Does he get to decide? Does a tap out matter? Do you have to kill the man? Um, I don't know. Referee stoppage. Okay. There is a referee in there. I mean, it's like the early UFC shows, and you can kind of tell that um, that Shane was into the early UFC because this is based a lot around that whole no-holds-barred fighting that the UFC used to be before they got a athletic commissioned. The thing is, is the WWE can get away with this because this has worked MMA to an extent, which in and of itself does nothing for me. You know what I took away from tonight's Raw Underground? That they might try to make Riddick Moss and Arturo Ruas a tag team going forward. Do you know my fuck level given about that, Tony? Zero. Yep, not interested. All right, back to the match. It's back to the women's tag match here itself. What did you think of the action itself here? Um, did you like that they kind of gave the shine to Oscar, Sasha, and Bailey in order to set up SummerSlam here while taking... Shayna out and maybe not maybe not our favorite way, but in an effective way for the storyline that she finds herself in outside of the Raw Women's title. I don't... There's not enough interest in her because she hasn't been around consistently. And when she is, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing with her. Do we hate her? Do we like her? Is she cool? Is she not cool? She has friends that don't, you know, come off as approachable. Um, I mean, if there's one way to make her a face, putting her against Nia's Definitely that way. <laughs> I wonder if we can like bleep her name in the future. We have to work on that. I feel like that could get very repetitive very quickly, though. Hey, it's an idea from WWE Creative. Hmm. So backstage, Apollo's choosing his partner for the six-man tag match, and he chooses Ricochet and Ali. Cedric is offended. Apollo says that he didn't mean anything by it. It's just that Lashley put Cedric in the full Lashley. I'm not calling it that. <laughs> just like I'm not calling him Shorty G. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I, I respect I respect your wishes. After Lashley put Cedric in the full Nelson. They exit. The camera stays in place. And Randy Orton's in. Orton doesn't say or do anything. He just kind of shows up. Yeah, what the fuck was the point of that? (laughs) Well, as you mentioned in the Raw report, Randy's pondering the current condition of the USPS. We're not going to get political on this show, but that's a solid gag. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Drew and HBK in a backstage segment um, where HBK talks about the fact that he saw the potential in McIntyre once he made his return and saw that he had gotten his act together while he was having his run on the independence, said that he's still the six foot five Scottish stud and there's nothing that's going to stop him unless he stops himself. I, I dig uh I, I dig the legends when they're used for this purpose to put over the current talent. And we've kind of seen that in a series of things going forward these last couple of weeks here. Um Christian, I mean, Edge you can't really say because Edge got injured, so that's one of those things where shit happens. But Christian came in to put Orton over. Flair came back to put Orton over. Show came back to put Orton over. And then HBK shows up and gives both Drew and Orton the rub tonight. Yeah, the cynic in me would say that there's really no need to put Orton over, so who are they really helping? 
But it's nice to see. And I, I, this has been one of the more enjoyable parts of Raw anyway. So I'm going to give it a pass. Um, Orton's just a fucking sick bastard. And he's really good at it. So, you know, it's a nice little change of pace when he comes on TV. Because you know it's going to be at the very least entertaining. The Iconics and the Riot Squad are backstage. A match is made. Apparently, Peyton didn't know that Billy was going to volunteer her for the match, especially given that Peyton was just in a bikini contest this past weekend. But I'm pretty sure this was taped before that, that she's okay. That is our next match as Ruby Riot takes on Peyton Royce. And you know how you mentioned that Peyton's improving? Mm-hmm. Couldn't really tell watching this match. <laughs> yeah, what they get, like, Less than three minutes. Two minutes and 49 seconds, according to the Tony Acero stopwatch. I don't like Peyton's finisher either. Deja vu. That uh, twisting vertical suplex, it's a twisting vertical suplex. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? That's all it was. At mm. least Billy Kay's riding bomb actually looks nice. This looked yeah. like a twisting vertical suplex. <laughs> yeah, they didn't give him enough time for this to mean anything. And what's interesting is I'm I'm positive this isn't by design, but I'm already exhausted of the Ruby Riot or of the Riot Squad versus Iconics, and that's that's a problem. Like, do they just? I guess it's just the way that they book things, where you're like, I'm kind of over this. Um, you're, you're not giving me enough to latch on to. You're not making me want more. You're not seeing me at all. And I've seen these girls go face-to-face three weeks in a row. I just feel like there's there's nothing new to be gained here. So why do I care? And, man, that happens a lot with a lot of wrestlers, with a lot of uh, feuds. I mean, Sheamus and Jeff, a perfect example. Like, this is boring, guys. We, <laughs> how much longer are you going to spread this out before we get to where we need to go? And then, like I said earlier, just the idea of Liv and Ruby Riot at odds yet again when they had just got back together, something that nobody asked for, um, you gave it to us, and now you're kind of pulling it back a little bit. I don't know. Just not, again, not good, not good cohesiveness, not good writing. Three minutes. After ignoring the fuck out of one of the other women's matches on the show. You know, you can stand there and you can claim, Revolution! Revolution! Diva empowerment! Give the divas a chance! Give the women a chance! They're superstars now! Good for them! Saying it and actually doing it are two different things. Yeah, you gave the tag match a decent amount of time. But then there were two other women's matches on that show that got basically the amount of time that you were given the women back in the Attitude Era. How is this a change again? <laughs> there was another women's match of those two that you gave the same time that you gave to the women in the Attitude Era where you completely fucking ignored the match. How is this a change again? Well, they weren't in Say brown you want, Say you want a revolution. The ape was a great big hit. You say you want a revolution, man. I say that you're full of shit. 
disposable teams, Maryland Manson. <clears throat> but still relevant some 25 years after the song came out. So that wasn't the, the Beatles. Right. Har har. <laughs> song came out in 97, I think. Somewhere around the golden age of grotesque album. Anyway. Raw Underground follows. We've already discussed that. We're not going to discuss this. Rey Mysterio and Dominic calling out Seth Rollins and Don't Call Me Buddy Pal Murphy thing going forward for the record. Oh. I will South Park the fuck out of him. Thanks for your investment. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the Mysterio, Dominic, Rollins, and Murphy segment here? I actually thought that this was a good idea in theory to give Dominic a little bit of shine after what happened last week, but it made it look like he needed his father to help fight his battles again, which is kind of the exact opposite of what you want to do if you're going to make Dominic his own man in the WWE. Yeah, I mean, it was fine, I guess. I just, Ray continues to be like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, he just cuts, ah! he cuts promos like he's in a Mexican soap opera. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, in fairness, Dominic came off kind of dopish himself tonight. Te amo, papi. Right. Yeah, and, you know, they do the whole English Spanish thing just so you really get what they mean. Like, all right, guys, we got it. Cody, where can people find your Raw report? Uh, 411mania.com in the wrestling section. Ray tells Dominic how proud he is that he admires his fight and determination and will defend the family name Guerrero. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know why, but that popped the fuck out of me, Cody. Oh, thanks. <laughs> You can check out Tony's Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown reviews over on 411 every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. Bonus points if you can get three reports because when I say I am like two different people, it is crazy. I don't actively try to be, man. Like, And it's not like AEW, I'm over there writing the AEW dick. It's just, it's not a bad TV show. And when it is bad, I think it was, Two weeks ago, it wasn't that great. I'm I'm gonna call it out, and I'm gonna say, you know, I feel like this was a, a lackluster week. But when you're when you have to watch Monday and Friday, Wednesday just seems like a beautiful reprieve from garbage. To be honest with you, you're getting paid for this, right? I hope to God you're getting paid for this because I have a hard time <laughs> talking about these two shows, let alone having to sit down and write every detail for them. Yeah, I get paid, and, you know, I have a long-standing audience that I wouldn't want to leave. <laughs> I remember when DeMarco originally launched WrestlingSmash.com. I don't know if you remember that original incarnation of the website. Yeah. And I was the TV guy there. And I made it about a month before trying to cover four shows a week. Drove me up a fucking wall. Yeah, it does you've that. Been co- you've been covering shows now for the better part of a decade on 411. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, about 10 years now. I have no idea how you haven't been driven to crime at this point. (laughs) I don't get it either. All right, so this is the segment I wanted to give credit to. Backstage, Cedric Alexander is drinking a bottle of water looking incredibly frustrated. MVP comes up and says he knows how he feels because he too found himself in a situation where he was stuck backstage. The only difference is, is it wasn't his friends putting him there. Cedric says Apollo was looking out for Cedric's best interest. MVP says maybe Apollo did that, or maybe Cedric or Apollo saw Cedric in the full Nelson and saw Cedric as the weakest link of the team. Must be difficult teaming with a guy that calls himself the one and only. MVP then reiterates that the offer to join the Hurt business for Cedric still stands. Go ahead and think it over while you're enjoying, enjoying the fine cuisine over at Catering. The exact words I sent you were, everything MVP touches turns to gold. Yeah, it's pretty good. But I do think that they were a little heavy-handed with Cedric here, and I don't think he'll be the one that turns. He better not. That's way too easy, and it makes him look like an idiot. If I were to personally put out an offer to for who would turn, I would turn Apollo personally. I would have Apollo lose the uh, I would have Apollo lose the U.S. title to MVP on Sunday. I would have him lose in a rematch, and then I would have him get mad at Cedric at Cedric Mustafa and Ricochet for not having his back after everything that Lashley and Benjamin had done for MVP. You guys are supposed to be my friends. Where were you when I needed you? I'm writing the story again, Tony. I got to stop that. Yeah, well. Fantasy booker gonna book. <laughs> what did you think what did you think of this backstage segment? Um, I mean, I love MVP. I don't like this continued like I, I like MVP's attempts because it, it's it's so him. I don't like the possibility of Cedric falling for it because it's too transparent. So like as a wrestler, as as uh Cedric this should be an easy write-off. Like, are you really mad that Apollo didn't pick you? Like, that's not something I see him getting upset about. It's not even a a legitimate gripe. Hey, look at the bright side, Cedric. At least nobody came down and ignored your match tonight. Mm. All three minutes than him and Akira Tozawa. Remember when those guys were having fucking bangers on 205? Well, you didn't watch 205 Live, but I remember when they were having fucking bangers on 205 Live. Well, you know, now we have the Ninjas and um, the Retribution basically wearing the same outfit, so. You know what I think my biggest problem about this is? Is on 205 Live, Cedric Alexander was considered the the the, the soul of that show, the guy uh-huh. on that show. Akira Tozawa was Akira Tozawa that we all knew and loved, Mister High Tension from the Indies. He's the kind of guy that would do anything to win a match. Cedric Alexander is a bit player, and Akira Tozawa is a racial a racial stereotype now on the main roster. Mm-hmm. 
okay. I'm going to dwell and I'm going to get pissed off, so let's move on. <laughs> Six-man elimina- Six elimination tag. Speaking of people who are wasted in the main roster, who did Mustafa Ali not shake hands with? Booker T. <laughs> That's a topical joke. Well played. <laughs> Seriously. Tag to Ali gets trucked the fuck over by Lashley and then pinned with the Dominator. Thanks for coming, Mustafa. Appreciate you putting your gear on. Ricochet gets tagged into... Well, I guess he comes into the match since Ali's eliminated. Choke slam by Bobby Lashley. Pay dirt from Shelton Benjamin. Thanks for coming, Ricochet. Appreciate you. No wonder Apollo doesn't seem with his friends. They're jobbers. And I say this as somebody who respects the fuck out of Ali and Ricochet both. Talked about this many times on this show. I feel Mustafa Ali is the most underutilized man in the WWE. And the reason I say that is because of who he is as a person and the kind of positive publicity that he could be bringing to the company. He is somebody who should be front and center in promotional efforts going forward, in opportunities to expand in community outreaches, in people that make you genuinely happy to be a wrestling fan because he's a damn good human being. He got nothing tonight. Ricochet got nothing tonight. Apollo Crews got to eliminate MVP and Shelton Benjamin. Bobby Lashley stood tall. I was okay with the finish. I'm fine with I'm fine with Lashley standing tall. MVP sneaks a win, or excuse me, Apollo sneaks a win on MVP to kind of tease what's going to happen for Sunday. But at the end, Lashley softens up Apollo for MVP since he can't be at ringside for Sunday. I'm perfectly okay with that. That being said, what I am not okay with is the treatment of of Mustafa Ali and Ricochet in this match. Tony, what did you make of the six-man elimination tag? I don't like elimination matches in the WWE because moves that weren't in the match any other time suddenly are the be-all, end-all of a majority of the wrestlers until the final two or three or whatever story you may be trying to tell. So they come off as hokey and unnecessary because why am I going to watch this if I already know what's going to happen, at least until the end? Um... So just almost as a rule, I'm not into uh, elimination matches. And tonight was no different. You you watched it, and you're like, for real? That's what? Okay. I, I, all right. That's how Mustafa's going to go out? Right. And it's only because it's an elimination match. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was playing wrestling games like crazy, I would love elimination matches because it meant you're going to be playing for a long time. Your wrestlers are going to get fatigued. You're going to have to use some semblance of skill to, like, win over against the computer. Um, yeah, not like that in real life. They they, they book so shittily with uh, uh, elimination matches. So um, I kind of knew what I was going to get into, what I was going to get once this match started. And they did not disappoint by disappointing. Um, so I wasn't really hurt by that in terms of, like, oh, wow, that's fucked up. But – in terms of the wrestlers that were involved, yeah, it was kind of bothersome. It was like, come on, man, we like that's what you're gonna give them. It's just like I thought, all right, okay, like. 
Cedric Alexander defends the 24-7 title match and the 24-7 title in a match against Akira Tozawa. The match is so important that Tony doesn't even give it a match graphic in the Raw report. No, I'm not. I, I just Those matches don't exist to me. Raw underground here, and there actually is two things I want to discuss here. You ready? Uh-huh. One... This how this could be how I could see Raw Underground actually being used to where it has some potential. And I hate saying that anything that Nia Jax was involved in has potential. But with the way that they've been having the kind of brawls that they've been having between her and Baszler, this is the exact kind of street fight, no holds barred environment that those two should settle with it. I would be okay with them using the Raw Underground, the no ring, the no ropes, no turnbuckles for this particular match. I think it fits that style. Secondary note, that redhead was hot as fuck. (laughs) You talk, I'm going to look on Twitter and see if they figured out who that redhead is because, you know, dibs. Anything with Nia Jax, regardless of where it's at, I'm not interested in. Shayna, this seems to be an arena built for her, which is kind of cool. But at the end of the day, it's just there's no I, there's not a significant enough difference for me to believe in all of this, and it continues to raise the question: if this is more real than what you've been selling me forever, then why should I watch the regular show over this? And there's a lot of things that I'm questioning. What are the rules? How do you win? How do you lose? What do you gain if you win? Why would Vince McMahon allow his performers to fight in such an arena like this if it was truly dangerous? Um, there's just what's the point? And then I thought Nia was suspended from the building, but she's allowed to be there. And it just, all of it strikes me as uh, poorly thought out, not, not all that well executed. And it just, I have no interest in it. This is one of the few instances where I think the format could work though. And especially when it comes to like a decisive thing for Shane and similar to, I don't know how much NXT you are or aren't watching. Did you see the cage match between uh, Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle? Um, no. All right. Well, if you get a chance, I know you won't because you know, Tony's schedule is busy as fuck, but if you get a chance and if our listeners get a chance, if you haven't seen it, Check out the cage match between Riddle and Thatcher on NXT TV. That kind of format with that kind of cage or this particular kind of setting would work for these MMA-inspired competitors in a WWE setting, in my opinion. All right, we move on. We already discussed Montez Ford and Andrade. And then we're up to the... Go home segment for the pay-per-view with Drew McIntyre, Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, and whomever else. In this particular instance, Shawn has the promo here. He says what he's going to say, saying that Orton may get his with a sweet chin music on Sunday, which is a tease that they're not going to pay off on and I didn't care for, or at the hands of a Claymore. But come SummerSlam, Orton will see it coming. Orton then shows up out of nowhere, to both RKO and then punt kick Sean. We'll talk about the punt kick in a second. McIntyre comes out, saves HBK. Orton tries to come back in. Orton McIntyre brawl around ringside for a little bit. McIntyre throws Orton over the announce table and then goes back into the ring to check on HBK again and gets pulled into an RKO as we go off of the air. 
couple of things here. Tony? Well, yeah, I'm here. I thought you were going to go first. but No, the, the, the one thing I do want to discuss, because it's the thing that stood out the most of this about me. Edge got punk kicked. Sold it like death. Christian got punk kicked. Sold it like death. Big Show got punk kicked. Sold it like death. Ric Flair gets punk kicked. He's inconvenienced enough to stay down, but he's still he's still talking. Shawn Michaels gets punk kicked, and he's trying to make his way back to his feet moments after it happened. Why? Real question. I'd like an answer if you have one. Um. Well, HBK is Sean fucking Michaels, bro. So, like, you know, maybe the weight of his lazy eye allowed him to take the hit. You can have Tony Antonio there, though. Just I don't get um, it. You're, I think you're devaluing the move by having people sell it less and less. I'm just mad that they made Drew look kind of like an idiot. Like not like a dumbass, but like for real, you um, you just gonna go ahead and not look back? <laughs> yeah, the way we went off the air here, you hit the wall okay on or or McIntyre catching an RKO. Like, if you wanted to have Randy stand tall at the end of this episode, I'm fine with that. But, like, I think in order to do that, the way to do that would have been just to have him actually hit the RKO when he first tried it, rather than having them have a brawl around ringside that McIntyre kind of won. Yeah. Then you're portraying McIntyre as a guy who gets distracted after what, he, after what he's already done, and it ends up not working out. Yeah. Which I would have been fine with. But instead, we got what we got. And I think one of the things, one of the biggest things that bugged me was, like, um, uh, just, I don't know, I just felt like I didn't need to see that with Drew. He's, he's been a pretty smart champion for, you know, since the jump. So it kind of came off as, like, eh, that wasn't necessary. Not a big deal by any means, but also not something I was ready to accept wholeheartedly. Enough to make you question kind of the story that they're telling with the McIntyre character in this perspective. Yeah. He's been smarter than this up to this point. Why is this different? And HBK, you know, like straight out said, like just uh, give me my space, you know, let me, let me take that hit. So not, I kind of expected HBK to, you know, get his ass beat and Drew shouldn't have been all that mad about it. You should have expected it too, bro. <laughs> Coming, you know, you, oh, you know, no, I was, I was perfectly fine with HBK getting punk kicked. What I wasn't okay with was him basically kind of not selling it. Yeah. Like I said, Edge out for six months. I mean, granted, Taurus tricep. That's beside the point. Christian stretchered, Big Show stretchered, Flair. Well, I mean, Flair. We don't really know what happened. It happened off air, but. He was still down, still down and being attended to when we went off air. Yeah. This was solely a purpose to put HBK down on the canvas 
in order to bring McIntyre out to check on him, which would have been accomplished in and of itself with simply just the RKO. You devalued the punt for no reason. That was my problem with that segment. I think that wraps us up, Tony. Mm-hmm. You have anything to add? Nah. All right. Let me send a quick message, and while I do that, I encourage you to give your favorite match or moment for the week in our final reaction. Um... I'm going to give it to the women's battle royal. I uh, I don't know. They, they Mainly because they surprised me. Like, it wasn't a five-star match, but a battle royal is so hard to pull off because of the the way that they do things. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I'll i give it to them. I'm going to agree with you. I thought that the, women, the, the women's contendership battle royal was very well handled, and I think that each of the women involved in that match kind of got an opportunity to showcase why they were in that match. Unlike what happened on Raw tonight, where let's talk Greg Watry, shall we? Oh man, well, there's a lot of choices. I'll give you that. Um, do I even need? Do I even need to expand upon mine again? Not really. No. No. If you listen to my rant earlier in the show, you know what I'm picking. Yeah, and I, I feel like I'm gonna pick the same thing only because. Retribution, we've talked about. Uh, Raw Underground, we've talked about. Tonight was just a, a slap in the face that was kind of unnecessary to even... Like, whose idea was that? Like, we've mentioned many times on this show that we're not the biggest fan of Lana. Whatever happens with Lana kind of happens. But at the very least, Natalia and Nikki fucking deserve better. I feel like Tony Khan's going to be getting a phone call real soon from at least one of them. Maybe both. <laughs> Uh, overall rating for Raw? Uh, 4 out of 10. Not a fan of tonight. Not one match was solid. Um, some were okay. Some were average. Most of them were marred by a disruption or an interruption or just something stupid going on. Um, it was not a good episode of Raw tonight. And like I said at the jump from the beginning of the show, I just didn't care. That's really unfortunate. Slightly higher than you with a five, but for much the same reasons. Uh, apparently they put Vince Russo back in charge of creative for this episode because yeah. it was running run galore. Crash TV at its finest. And the thing is, is I, I appreciate wanting to give as many people a story as you can, and we talked about that being one of the good things from the Russo era in the WWE. The problem is that you guys don't have the competency in the writing room to pull that off right now. MVP for the week. Um... I don't even know. I'm going to give it to Flair. <laughs> Since I didn't give it to him last week. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a retrospective MVP. I'm going to go with Oscar with an honorable mention to Cedric Alexander for his performance in the backstage segment with MVP. 
and that he tried to make the most out of two minutes against Akira Tozawa. All right, Tony. This Sunday SummerSlam. And since this is the first time... Since this is the first time since uh, May that we've been on the air the week before a pay-per-view, we have predictions to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot. <clears throat> I know. You you hate doing these pay-per-view predictions. I know. Unfortunately, I need you to do me a favor and stall for time because my Wikipedia page closed on me, so now I have to pull it back up. Uh, all right. well, so go ahead and plug something personal. So AEW is amazing, guys. I don't know if you know this. I don't know how much of it you watch, but I'm having a great time every Wednesday. Um, there are moments where I feel it's a little, like, self-serving, you know, particularly when the Young Bucks are on. It's almost like they really, truly believe in their hype, which is fine. I, I love people that believe in their hype. Um, but it becomes problematic when they stand out for all the wrong reasons. Um, I think psychologically-wise, they're not – they're fun to watch, but they're fun to watch, like, on the indies, if that makes sense. When you're an indie wrestling fan and you watch matches – you don't really pay too much attention about, you know, selling. Okay. Uh, Just real quick with the Young Bucks thing here. Sorry to cut you off, but um, to the Young Bucks thing here. You, you've heard the comparison to the to the younger Hardy Boys, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 100% accurate because the Hardys didn't sell a goddamn thing when they were first starting either. <laughs> it's not that I dislike Matt and Nick because I don't. I'm actually a fan of their work. It's just... They have those kind of matches where you have to leave your brain at the door, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't want to do that, especially if you're on a on a TV show. I'm supposed to, you know, and all their matches are good. I haven't seen a bad Young Bucks match. It's just, it's not, um, the, psycho- the psychology isn't um, continuous. It's, like, great until, until it's not. Are you looking forward to Young Bucks and FTR? Yeah. Big time. Because I think that's probably going to be the match at all out, especially after what happened this past week on uh, Dynamite with FTR going after uh, with FTR going after Ricky Morton. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Ricky. Keep your old ass at home. <laughs> no, I actually like Rock and Roll Express. Hopefully, uh, Ricky and Robert are doing well. But anyway. I found what I was looking for. I found the, the matches here. Unfortunately, the surprise that I had planned is going to fall through. I had a surprise planned for you tonight, Tony. Uh-huh. Somebody was going to join us for predictions. Unfortunately, she will not be doing so. However, she will be returning next Monday night. Liz Puglisi rejoins the reaction next Monday as a full-time third co-hostess. All right, let's make some picks. Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza for the tag, Raw Tag Team titles. Um, this, you know, they added a poisonous element to it, and it still didn't really strike me as um, something worth watching. 
I think the street profits are going to continue to hold on to it because um, I don't know. See, part of me wants Suns Rodney and Angel to pick up the win here because really what else is there for the Street Profits to do on Raw? Who are the other teams that they could feud with right now? Whereas Andrade and Angel could go against the Viking Raiders, they could go against the Street Profits, they could go against Cedric and Ricochet. That being said, I'm picking the Street Profits to retain, but I wouldn't be opposed to Garza and Andrade picking up the win. Hair versus hair, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. I think this is Sonya's match to lose. But I also think that Mandy would be badass enough to get her head shaved and run with it. So it's kind of a toss-up. I think that this is one of those matches where both girls are down for the cause. So it makes more sense for Sonya to do it because I don't think she's as image, um, you know, worried. But I could see it going either way. Mandy's very heavily brand savvy on her Instagram and everything with her social media followings, so I think that she's going to have to pick up the win here in order to protect that image that she's portraying to the customers of her sponsorships. Uh, so uh, Mandy picks... Go ahead. The reality, like, you know, at the end of all this, Mandy is the good guy, and if she loses, you're basically saying the good guy loses. <laughs> Be a star, Tony. Bailey defends the Raw or the SmackDown Women's Title, excuse me, against Oscar in the first of two matches for Oscar. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to think that um, one person is going to win and one person is going to lose, and because I'm a Sasha Mark, I think it's going to be Bailey that loses and Sasha that wins. I am in agreement with half of that, disagreement with the other half. I do think one of them is going to win, one of them is going to lose. But I think it's Oscar, or I think it's Sasha that loses the Raw Women's Title. I know I'm kicked off the show. It's been a good run. Yep, gotta go. <laughs> but in sincerity, though, um, with Shayna already basically calling next for the Raw Women's Division, Oscar Shayna seems like a money matchup. Um, specifically because it wasn't run that the, one that they ever got to run in NXT. And Sasha being overly cocky going into a match against a presumably worn-down Asuka will be her downfall, I think, on Sunday after she helps Bailey squeak out of victory. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bailey's attempted interference backfire, and that's what cost Sasha the match. Yeah. They're going to have to pull the trigger on that feud sooner or later. I just wish it was with a crowd. We'll have to see if they get anywhere near the amount of time that they got in NXT to tell the stories for their matches, too. Yeah, I think they would. Uh, I think they could. I think they should, given the fact that they've dominated as much TV time over the course of the last couple of months as they have. But at the same time, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to Bailey and Sasha, we've seen what they can do for 10 minutes, and then we've seen what they can do for 30 minutes, too. So, realistically speaking, if you give them a decent amount of time on pay-per-view, they're going to tear the house down against each other. Yeah. All right, we move on. Street fight, officially announced as a street fight, so both competitors can use weapons. We talked about that last week. Right. Dominic Mysterio takes on Seth Rollins. Um, I think that Seth is going to take the pinfall for this one. 
I I said it before. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I really hope that he does well. I want him to do well. I want another wrestler on the roster that you know is worthy of the name Mysterio. So. Wait, who are you picking? Dominic. I'm picking Seth. I think it's a better story to tell if Dominic loses this match. I think he already looks like a loser. I think he kind of needs to win. Can I just say my one biggest hope for this match? And I know it's probably going to happen anyways because fuck me. My one biggest hope for this match is that Rey Mysterio's involvement in the match is not the deciding fin- the deciding thing towards the finish. Yeah, it will be. I'm fine with I'm fine with Ray being there. I'm fine with Ray and Buddy Murphy. Don't call me Buddy Pal. I'm fine with Ray and Murphy getting into a scrap on the outside. Let Seth and Dominic have their this match to themselves so that way we can see what Dominic has to offer without needing his dad. Apollo Cruz takes on MVP for the United States title. Uh Cruz is gonna win. I think MVP wins. Disagreeing a lot. Mm-hmm. Braun Strowman defends the Universal Championship against Bray Wyatt. Ugh, I don't even know. Um, Fuck it. End the Braun experiment. Just put the belt back on Wyatt. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking done. I mean, I was Thank done you. with him before all this, but I'm really fucking done now. <sighs> That's my exact thoughts on Braun Strowman. Yeah, I guess Bray. I guess I'll say Bray. There are other people on the SmackDown roster who could step up to challenge Wyatt. You know who would have a really good shit-kicking contest with Wyatt? Sheamus. Joseph Park. Well, Joseph Park, too, yeah. But only if he brings back Abyss for that match. That is the only way I will stand for that. Presumably, the main event is Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton for the Raw t- for the WWE Raw title. Um, yeah, I don't think that Drew's done with his title reign. But if they gave it to Orton, I wouldn't be mad because Orton has been fucking killing it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to reside with them. my original choice of Drew just not being done. So Drew's going to win. You know how there's a pay-per-view the very next week? Uh-huh. No contest, double disqualification. Setting up kind of a this Tuesday in Texas situation where the title was stripped, the title is declared vacant, neither person is the champion, and then they fight for it again on, on next Sunday at Payback. And you put some kind of no-holds-barred, street fight, false count anywhere stipulation on the match to let them go to town and beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, that's fine, too. If I had to pick, I'd say Orton. Just because I think Orton's on one of the better runs of his career. 
and there's more money in the chase for McIntyre right now than there would be with him being champion. Mm. Plus, I think the name value of having a guy that fans know, like Randy Orton's champion, would be enough to slightly bump up the ratings as well, even if it is ever so slim. So dynamite, huh? What's announced for this week? I haven't seen anything. Oh, jeez, I don't know. Or if, I don't remember. It's going to be on Saturday. Which let's talk about that. That's garbage. Yeah, I mean, I get why they're doing it. I get why they're doing it. I 100% get why they're doing it. The reason they're doing it is the same reason Triple H put NXT on Wednesdays with USA Network to counter program. I 100% understand that. The problem is, is that when everybody loses, nobody wins. You guys are spiting each other and hurting both companies in the process. Put Dynamite on Thursday this week. It's going to draw a bigger number than it would on Wednesday because that way the people who watch NXT can watch NXT on Wednesday and then watch Dynamite on Thursday. By putting it up against basically the first hour of TakeOver because TakeOver starts at 7 o'clock on Saturday. By putting Dynamite on Saturday up against the first hour of TakeOver, you're going to assure yourself that anybody who might have checked it out on Thursday in the 8 o'clock time slot will not do the same on Saturday because they'll be watching TakeOver if they already watch NXT. Yeah, I know I won't be watching it. So I'm going to have somebody else cover for me. Are you going to be watching TakeOver? No, I, I got to work. So. Oh. Well, I will be watching TakeOver on Saturday, and then I'll watch Dynamite maybe Sunday on TNT On Demand. That being said, they are putting Dynamite on Thursday the other two weeks that it's off, and I will be watching both of those episodes live. You still going to be able to cover it, even though it's going to be on Thursday those two weeks? Um, I don't know yet. I'm I'm pretty open on Thursday nights, but I do like to have a break in between. And I'm also going to be um, talking about uh, getting someone to cover SmackDown in the near future. Just Friday keep night is a week getting to you. Well, not not necessarily, but Friday night is a big money making evening for the restaurant, and I'm not making the money. So it's kind of bothersome. You're going to make more at the bar than you would covering SmackDown. Makes sense. Oh, oh, way more. Yeah. yeah. Of, co- of course. That wraps us up, Tony. Anything to say before we get out of here? No, that's it, man. All right. For the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero, I'm Harry Broadhurst. Next week, we welcome back the co-hostess with the mostest, Ms. Liz Buglisi. But you, for this week, have been listening to the reaction, a presentation, but that's all, folks, of the ChairShot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. All right. It's your line. Gooses, bitches.
Yeah, normally I let the song play for a little bit, but we've gone way long tonight, almost two full hours, so that's not going to happen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week with our SummerSlam fallout and probably talk a little takeover, too, even if Tony doesn't watch. I will, and I'll let you know what I thought. And Liz will be back, too, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next Monday night here on the ChairShot Radio Network. Hey, Platt, send us home. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next Monday.